All right, well, we're there in Isaiah 45, and, you know, Isaiah 45 kind of deals with a lot of the similar subjects that are in Isaiah 44 and 43 and 42. A lot of things are kind of repeating themselves a lot, which is good. It's always good to be uh, admonished and, and repeated. But because we've covered some of this, I want to just quickly show you uh, the description in Isaiah 45 that Isaiah gives of God. But I want to focus tonight on just one or two verses, really. But I just want you to see uh, the consistency that he's just trying to nail down. If you look at verse 1, he talks about the fact that God is the one who controls the kingdoms of the earth. In verse 1, he says, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus. Now, if you remember last week, we saw in Isaiah 44 that Isaiah named Cyrus by name. And Cyrus was that king that allowed Ezra to go back, and, and, and we talked about it this morning in Nehemiah, allowed the captives to go back into Jerusalem to rebuild uh, the temple and to be able to go back to their homeland. Now, Isaiah is living somewhere between 100, 150, maybe 200 years before Cyrus uh, was born. And the fact that he can name him by name is proof, according to Isaiah 44, that God is God. God said, if, if I can if I can tell you what's going to happen in the future and I can make it come to pass, then I am God. And he continues with this idea of Cyrus, whose right, notice what he says in verse 1, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of king uh, to open before him the two leaped gates, and the gates shall not be shut. Look at verse 2. I will go before thee. And make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that thou mayest know. Now notice what he says. That thou mayest know that I, the Lord, and notice the reference, which call thee by name am the God of Israel. He says, if I can call you Cyrus hundreds of years before you're even born, if I can uh, you know, say that there will be a man by the name of Cyrus and I'm going to give him the kingdoms, I'm going to give him the riches, I'm going to allow him to come into power, then God is showing us that it is God. The Bible is showing us that it is God who controls the kingdoms of the earth. Go down to verse number 13 of Isaiah 45. Notice what he says in verse 13. He says, I have raised him up in righteousness. And I will direct all his ways. Talking about Cyrus. He shall build my city and he shall let go my captives. Not for price nor reward, saith the Lord of hosts. Now keep your finger there in Isaiah 45. And let me just show you a verse real quickly in Proverbs chapter number 21. Proverbs chapter number 21. You're there in Isaiah. If you go backwards in the Bible, if you go past the Song of Solomon, past Ecclesiastes, you find the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 21 And look at verse number 1. Proverbs 21 and verse number 1. The Bible says this, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. You've got to understand that God is the one who is in control of the kingdoms of the earth. In fact, the Bible says that the king's heart is in the hands of the Lord. The Bible says that it is God who raises a man and who brings him down. It's God who brought Cyrus up. It's God who brought Nebuchadnezzar up. It is God who is in control of these things. And you've got to understand this. We're not saying that when wicked men prevail that it's, it's pleasing to God. But you've got to understand this. Nothing catches God by surprise. You know, Christians want to get all upset and all riled up. Can you believe the Supreme Court did this? Can you believe the Supreme Court did that and Obama this and Obama that? Listen, we ought to stand against those things, but realize it didn't catch God by surprise. 
God is the one who's in control of the kingdoms of the earth. God knows where the United States of America is. God knows where Israel is. God knows where Cyrus was and where Nebuchadnezzar was. It is God who controls the kingdoms of the earth. And if God allows us to live in a nation where they legalize filth and they legalize abortion, they legalize sodomy and marriage and all these things, hey, God allows it maybe because we deserve it. Maybe because we're not standing against it. Maybe because we're not out knocking doors and preaching the gospel and standing against it. But you got to understand, it does not catch God by surprise. God is the God who controls the kingdoms of this earth. He's in control. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. God can do what he wants. Look, go back to Isaiah 45. Look at verse 4. Not only is God the one who controls the kingdoms of the earth. but it, And by the way, that's why we don't get involved in a lot of political things around here. We're not going to go stand in front of anywhere with any signs... We're going to go knock doors, preach the gospel, get people saved. We're going to get baptized people, and we're going to disciple people, and we're going to, you know, reach people. Because what makes a difference is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we ought to stand against the political, you know, uh, tyranny that's going on. But we're, we're not, we're, I'm just not interested in going down to the Capitol and praying with anybody. Uh, other than just praying the sinner's prayer and getting them saved. You know what I mean? I'm just not really, I'm not going to go stand in front of, you know, Planned Parenthood. You say, well, don't you just take a stand against the board? Of course I can take a stand against the board. But I'm not going to go stand in front of Planned Parenthood. You know why? Because it would be better to go out and knock the doors and get those people saved. God is the one who's in control. Not only is God the one who controls the kingdoms of the earth, but notice it is God who is invisible. The God who we usually do not acknowledge. Look at verse 4. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee. Notice what he says. Though thou hast not known me. Look at verse 5. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. God says, hey, I'm the one that girded you. I'm the one that put you there. I'm the one that gave you whatever it is that you have. You may not know me. You may not acknowledge me. But he says, I'm the God. Uh, who controls everything. I'm the invisible God. Look at verse 15, same chapter. Isaiah 45, verse 15. Verily thou art a God that hidest thyself, O God of Israel, the Savior. God, the Bible tells us, is invisible. God does not show himself. That's why we must come to him by faith. Not only is he the God who controls the kingdoms of the earth, not only is God the invisible God who we usually do not even acknowledge, but he is the God who exists alone. Look at verse 5. Isaiah 45, verse 5. And this is a theme that Isaiah has been talking about a lot through the last several chapters. He says, I am the Lord. There is none else. He says, there is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. He says, I am the only God. He said, there is no other God. Look at verse 18. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord there, and there is none else. These are great verses to show Mormons. When, you know, Mormons believe in multiple gods. They believe that you know, there is a God of this universe, but there are some, you know, multiple gods for all these different universes. Uh, and the Bible teaches that there is one God. One mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Look at verse uh, 21 of Isaiah 45. Tell ye, and bring them near, yea, let them take counsel together, who hath declared this from ancient times, who hath told it from that time. Have not I the Lord? Notice what he says. And there is no God else beside me. A just God and a Savior, there is none beside me. He's just saying over and over, there's one God, there's no other God. Now here's why he's emphasizing that. 
If during the time of Isaiah, there was a lot of different religions that believed in multiple gods. They had all these idols. And he's emphasizing the fact that there is one God. That's it. No other God. Now notice verse 7. He says, I formed the light. And this is something a lot of Christians don't agree with. And they don't really understand what the Bible teaches. But notice what he says, verse 7. I formed the light and create darkness. I make peace. Now notice what he says. And create evil. Do you see that? God just said, I create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. A lot of people say, well, God, you know, God doesn't create evil and God doesn't, you know, but here the Bible very clearly tells us, he says, I make peace and I create evil. Keep your finger there in Isaiah 45. Go with me to Amos real quickly. You're there in Isaiah. Go past Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. One of the minor prophets, Amos chapter number three. Amos chapter number three. Let me show you a verse on this real quick. In these times, these people, they would have these gods, and there was the good God, and there was the bad God. You know, there was a God that brought the harvest, and there was a God that brought, you know, the storm. There was a God that, you know, that gave us the sun so that we could grow our crops, and then there was a God that brought the drought. There was always these good gods, and there was these bad gods, and we were trying to appease the bad gods and make them not, you know, do bad things to us, and we were trying to keep the good gods happy because they helped us. This was the mentality of the heathen that Isaiah was preaching to, but here Isaiah says, hey, there's only one God and he's not this dualistic God there's not this good God and bad God and the good God brings the blessings and the bad God brings the curse he says there's one God that does peace and evil he brings light and darkness there's one God that controls all of it are you there in Amos chapter 3 look at verse 6 notice what he says Amos chapter 3 verse 6 shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid Shall there be evil in a city, and the Lord hath not done it? And it's what we were talking about this morning in Nehemiah chapter 1. The fact that there are two sides to the same God. There is God's blessing, but there is God's curse. And if you walk against God, and you sin against God, and you transgress against God, hey, it is that same God, it is that holy God that will come down on you, and that will chastise you, and that will correct you. The Bible says, be not deceived, God is not mocked for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. There's not this, you know, there's the good God that gives us the blessings, and the bad God that gives the curse. It's the same God that curses and blesses. It's the same God that creates good and evil. Now, you've got to understand this about the word evil, all right? The word evil, and I'm not going to take the time to uh, develop this because I want to get on to different things. You can go back to Isaiah 45. The word evil in the Bible simply means to hurt. When, so, when, when you hurt someone, that you are doing evil. All right? Now, here's what you got to understand. All sin is evil because all sin hurts. But not all evil is sin. That's why the Bible can say that God creates evil and that, that God, you know, does evil. But God never sins. Sometimes God hurts. Look, if someone breaks into my house in the middle of the night, I'm going to take my gun out and shoot him. I mean, is that okay? Is that still okay in the United States of America? Now you say, well, what did you, did you hurt that person? I did hurt that person. Did you do evil to that person? I did evil to that person. Did I sin? No. They broke into my house in the middle of the night. I'm going to protect my children, right? I'm going to protect my wife. So see, doing evil is not necessarily sin because evil just means to hurt. And sometimes God hurts us because of our sin. So all sin is evil, but not all evil is sin. And that's why those verses talk about God making peace and creating evil. God is the one who uh, does evil, and he's the one that takes uh, 
God never sins. We understand that. But God does hurt from time to time. Go back to Isaiah uh, 45. Look at verse 8. He also talks about the fact that God created us. Look at verse 8. Drop down ye heavens from above and let the skies pour righteousness. Let the earth open and let them bring forth salvation. And let righteousness spring up together. He says, I the Lord have created it. He said, I created everything. Look at verse 11. Same chapter. Isaiah 45 verse 11. Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. And notice this. His maker. Ask me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands. Command ye me. I have made the earth and created man upon it. That's what the Bible says. God made the earth and created man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens, and all their hosts have I commanded. Look at verse 18, Isaiah 45, verse 18. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Look at verse 22, Isaiah 45, verse 22. Look unto me. And be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. So he says, I'm the only God. I'm the one that created you. I control the kingdoms of the earth. He's explaining to us the greatness and the power of God. It is the same God who saves us. Look at verse 17. Isaiah 45, verse 17. But Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. Brother Darrell, I think you asked me yesterday, it was about a, or not yesterday, last week, about a, a verse on eternal security in the Old Testament. Here, there, there's one right there. Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You shall not be ashamed nor confounded world without end. Look at verse 21, same chapter. Tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together who hath declared from this ancient time, who hath told it from that time. Have not I the Lord and there is no God else beside me? Notice what he says. A just God and a Savior, there is none beside me. God is the Savior. Look at verse 22. Look unto me and be ye saved. I like that song we sing, look and live, my brother, live, look to Jesus now and live. He says, look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Look at verse 23. Not only is it the God that saves us, not only is it the God that created us, not only is it the God that controls the kingdoms of the earth, not only is it the invisible God who we often do not acknowledge, but it also the God who at some point every knee shall bow to. Whether you want to acknowledge him or not, whether you want to you know, serve him or not, whether you want to believe in him or not, the Bible says that every knee shall bow. Look at Isaiah 45, verse 23. Notice what he says. Isaiah 45, verse 23. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. Now notice what the Bible says, and I want you to make note of this. That unto me, now who's speaking? It is the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Jehovah God is speaking. And he says that unto me, Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. The Bible says that there's coming a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear to God, Jehovah, the I Am. Now keep your finger on Isaiah 45. Go to Philippians chapter number 2. Just real quickly, Philippians chapter number 2. I'm kind of going through this quickly because this is all introduction. We're about to get in the sermon right now. But I just want you to get the context of what Isaiah is talking about. He's talking about the greatness of God. Philippians chapter number 2, look at verse 10. In the New Testament, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. All right? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter number 2, and look at verse number 10. Philippians chapter number 2 and verse 10. Notice what the Bible says. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, 
and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now look, do you need a clear verse to show that Jesus is God? When the Bible says that the Lord, that the, the every a knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear to God in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, it says at, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You say, well, why, why do they do the same thing to God as they do to Jesus? Because God is Jesus. And Jesus is the God, and Jesus is the Savior, and God is the Savior. They're all the same person. And Jesus is God. Go back to Isaiah 45. Look at verse number 9. So, so here's what we've learned so far from Isaiah 45. And this was, this was all kind of introduction. But I want you to understand the context. Because the, next, the, the couple of verses I want to focus in on, you, you've got to understand who we're talking about. We're talking about the God who controls the kingdoms of this earth. We're talking about the God who is the invisible God, the eternal God, the God who alone is God, the God who is the source of good and evil, the God who created us, the God who saves us, the God who every knee shall bow to. This is the God we are talking about when we get to Isaiah 45 and verse number 9. Notice verse 9. Woe unto him. And I want you to notice this word, striveth. The word strive, it means to struggle with. It means to fight against. It means you're putting up a fight. And it says, woe unto him that striveth, notice, with his maker. He, here's what Isaiah is saying. God created you. God saved you. God runs this world. God is almighty. God is all-powerful. Every knee shall bow to God. Every tongue shall swear. They'll confess to God. He is in control. He's in charge. And then he says, Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Here's what he's saying. Don't fight with God. He said, Don't fight what God is doing in your life. Because notice the analogy that he makes. Isaiah 45, verse 9. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. He says, let the potsherd strive with the potsherd. Now, a potsherd is like a broken piece of ceramic. Here's what he's saying. Let the broken bowl fight with the broken bowl. And by the way, we're the broken bowls. We're the broken piece of ceramic. He said, let the potsherd strive with the potsherd of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashioned it, what makest thou? Or thy work he hath no hands. Here's what he's saying. God is the creator. God is all-powerful. God is in charge. He, he gives this analogy of, of, of taking clay and having someone form the clay and turn it into a ceramic bowl or ceramic cup. And he says, hey, is the clay going to say to the maker, what are you doing? Is the clay going to say to the maker, why, why are you doing this? He said, it, 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 why do you strive? He says, if you are the creation, if you are the one who's created, why do you strive and fight against the maker? Go to Romans chapter number 9. If you've heard there in Isaiah 45, go to Romans chapter 9. I don't know if you kept your place in Philippians, but go to Romans. Romans chapter 9, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans. In Romans, you've got the Apostle Paul kind of bringing up the same analogy. Notice what he says. Romans chapter 9 and verse 20. He says, Nay, but, O man. And here's what he says. Who art thou that repliest against God? Now that word replies, he's saying, Who are you to talk back to God? You know how your mom would tell you, some of you grew up and you, you didn't get spanked. That's why you're a brat now, you know, because your parents didn't spank you when you were a kid. And you would talk back to your parents? When I was growing up, we weren't allowed to talk back to our parents. 
you know. My mom and dad said something, you just did what they said, unless you wanted a spanking, you know. But he, he, said, he says, who are you to talk back to God? He said, he said, nay, he said nay, but, oh man, who art thou that replies against God? He said, shall the thing form same to him, say to him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the powder power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and one to dishonor? Here's what he's saying. If God created you, can he turn you and can he fashion you and can he make you whatever he wants? If he's the potter and you're the clay, why are you talking back? Why are you striving against? Why are you fighting? You're there in Romans, go to Acts chapter number 7. Let me give you an example. You say, well, how, how is it that we fight against God? How is it that we fight against what God is doing in our life? Listen to me. You've got to understand this. God has a plan for your life. God is trying to accomplish something in your life. And the Bible teaches that God uses the Holy Spirit of God to move in your heart and to prick you and to begin to, to work in your life and in your mind. And, and as you come to church and as you hear the Bible preached or as you take time in your daily life to read the Bible and pray, the Holy Spirit of God will begin to speak to you and He'll begin to tell you of things that you need to get rid of in your house and things that you need to stop doing, and things that you need to start doing. And he'll begin to convict you, and he'll begin to tell you, you know, you ought to go soul winning. You ought to be more faithful to church. You ought to read your Bible. You ought to pray. You should really stop watching that TV show. It's not really okay for you to allow your kids to watch that. Don't you understand? There's nudity on there, and there's women that are dressed in modesty. There's places that Christians should not go. The Holy Spirit begins to work on you because God wants to make something out of you. Are you there in Acts chapter 7? Look at verse 49. Notice what the Bible says. And notice the same theme that is carried through from Isaiah and from Romans 9. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. God is saying, I'm God. I live in heaven. He said, earth. He said, you're, fond, you're so fond of earth. You're mother earth. You want to keep Tahoe blue and all your environmentalism? He said, I, I use the earth as my footstool is what God says. I'm the creator. He said, what house will you build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? God says, I created everything. God says, I created you. Now notice verse 51. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. He says, here's the problem. You don't understand that God is the creator. God is the one that made you. God is the one that fashioned you. God has a plan for what he wants to do with your life. And here's what he's saying. Why do you fight against God? Why do you fight? Why do you resist the Holy Spirit? You're there in in Acts. Go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 4. You go past Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. These are well-known verses. You know them, but let's look at them. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 30. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Ephesians 4, 30, the Bible says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. You don't have to turn there. Thessalonians 5, 19 says, Quench not the Spirit of God. Let me ask you something. Where has the Holy Spirit dealt with you? Where has God recently been showing you that you need to do this, that God would like you to do this, or God would like you to stop doing that? Where is it that God has been dealing with you, and you just keep saying no, 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 and you resist, and you fight? Hey, the question is this. Why are you fighting against what God is doing in your life? Because it is God that created you. Can he do whatever he wants with you? Can he use you in any uh, place that he would want to use you? 
And, and it is absurd for a bull of clay to look at the maker and say, what are you doing? Why are you trying to turn me into something? And God says, I can turn you into whatever I want. But you're fighting and you're striving and you're going again. So what can we learn? Number one, don't fight what God is doing in your life. Can you get back to Isaiah 45? Look at verse 9. Isaiah 45, verse 9. I, I got to hurry because we got cake and ice cream. And the, the ice cream is getting cold, which is actually a good thing, but the cake is getting cold, and I think it came cold too. So I don't know why we're hurrying, but we got to hurry. Isaiah 45. Look at verse 9, okay? So number one, don't fight what God is doing in your life. But number two, don't question what God is doing in your life. Notice what he says, Isaiah 45, verse 9. He says, woe unto him that striveth with his maker. He said, don't fight God. So when the Holy Spirit begins to work in your heart and God begins to tell you and God begins to move you and you know that it's time and you know that God wants you to do certain things, don't fight that. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. He says, woe unto him that striveth with his maker. He says, let the potsherd strive with the potsherd. He said, fight with another human, but don't fight with God. Now notice what he says. Shall the clay say to him that fashioned it, what makest thou? Or thy work? He hath no hands. So here's what he said. Not only does he not want you to fight against God, but then he says, don't question God. He said, don't say to God, what are you doing? What are you making? You're there in Isaiah. Go to Jeremiah chapter 18. Just one book over. Jeremiah chapter number 18. Look at verse number 5. Jeremiah chapter number 18 and verse number 5. Jeremiah 18, 5. Jeremiah talked about the same subject. Look at it again. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 5. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah 18, verse 5. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel. Now notice what God says. Cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. He says, can I do with you whatever I want? He says, don't I have control? Don't I have the ability? Don't I have the right to do whatever it is that I want to do in your life? And here's what you got to understand. Not only should we not strive against God, but we should be very careful not to question what God is doing in your life. Go to Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8. Sometimes we can get very bitter over the things that God is doing. And listen to me. My heart breaks for you. If you've lost your job, if you've lost your home, if you've lost someone close to you, if you've lost your marriage, if you, 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 your health has deteriorated and, and you are going through things, I'm not, I'm not looking down on you. I'm not mad at you, but listen to me. Be very careful not to question God. You say, well, I don't, I just don't, I don't understand why God, can't God do whatever he wants with his vessel? Can't God take whatever he wishes? Can't God do whatever he wishes? And look, I pray for you, and I pray that God will bless you, and that God will bless your marriage, and that God will bless your children, that God will bless your health, and God will bless your finances. But God can do, and we must come to the place where we just realize God can do as he wills. Don't question God. Don't look at God and say, what are you doing? He created you. He's in charge of you. Don't fight him, but don't question him. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 28. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Bible says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. You say, all things? All things. Everything, everything you've ever gone through, it can. Now, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say all things are good, but it says all things can work together 
for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Verse 29, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed unto the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Here's what you got to understand, and please understand this. God is not interested in your 401k. God is not interested in you getting that raise or you getting that position. God doesn't really care what house you live in or what car you drive. God doesn't care what clothes you wear. God cares about one thing. There is one agenda that God has, and that is to cause you to become conformed to the image of His Son. He wants you today to be more like Jesus than you were yesterday, and He wants you tomorrow to be more like Jesus than you are today, and He will do whatever He needs to do to get you there. If anyone could have questioned God, could have not been Job. If anyone could have questioned God, could have not been Job, who, who God took his children, God took his finances, even his wife turned against him, and, and he didn't have a friend in the world. The, the three friends that show up to encourage him end up discouraging him. And he says, Will we take evil from the Lord and not good? Job said, When I come forth, He said, I shall come forth as gold. He said, I know that what God is doing in my life, he is doing to make me better. So don't question God. He's God, you're not. Don't fight against God. He's God, you're not. He's got a goal. He's got an agenda. He's got something he's trying to accomplish in your life. And Job just understood. Job just said, naked came I into this world. He said, I didn't come with anything. He said, I'm not leaving with anything. He said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He said, he said, it's God, the one that's in charge, not me. So number one, don't fight against God. Number two, don't question what God is doing in your life. Sometimes storms arise. Sometimes tough times come. Sometimes we go through struggles. We go through trials. We go through tribulations. But they are meant to make us stronger. They are meant to draw us closer to God. Don't question God. Number three, look at Isaiah 45, verse 9. Not only should we not fight what God is doing in your life. Listen to me. If God has been working in your heart to go out soul winning, you need to go out soul winning. God's been working in your heart to throw that television out the window. You need to go home and throw that TV out the window. God's been working in your heart about certain things or certain places you go, and you're just like, I don't really think God wants me to go there. I don't really think God wants me to skip church anymore. I don't really think. Whatever it is that God is dealing with you, deal with it. Don't fight against him. And whatever God is putting you through, Whatever trial or struggle or heartache you're going through, our heart breaks for you and we love you and we're praying for you. But listen to me, do not question God because God knows better. God knows what he's doing. God knows why he's doing it. But number three, I want you to notice Isaiah 45, verse 9, number three, don't doubt that God is in your life. This is interesting in verse 9. Notice what he says. One thing that striveth with his maker. He said, don't fight with God. He said, let the potsherds strive with the potsherds of the earth. He said, shall the clay say to him that fashioned it, what makest thou? He says, don't question God. He said, don't fight against God. He says, don't question God. And then he says this, or thy work, he hath no hand. Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying, wouldn't it be silly for a piece of clay that's being fashioned by the hands of a maker to then look at that person that's fashioning him and say, you don't even have any hands. And, and, and you say, well, that's silly that a piece of clay would look at someone who's forming it with their hands and say, you don't have any hands. But it's just as silly for us to look at God and say, there is no God. We came from monkeys. It's just, a, it's just a big bang. We just came from nothing. And here's what he's saying. Don't get this idea that God is not in your life. And don't doubt what God is doing. 
and don't doubt that God is there. He says, thy work hath no hands. He says, don't say that. Don't say that there is no God. Go to Genesis 39. Genesis 39, just real quickly. We're almost done. Genesis 39. There are times when God deals with us. There are times that God is purging us. There are times that God is working on us. There are times that God is trying to accomplish something in us. And listen to me. When I'm, when I'm going through those times where I think, you know, God, God is dealing with me right now. You know what I try to do? I just try to figure out, okay, what is it that God's trying to show me? And so I can just get that right and we can move on. So this can be done. Some of you have just been in a constant state of a spanking because you just don't get it. You're just like, well, I don't know why God is doing this. And God's like, it's, it's pretty clear, but we'll keep doing it, you know. Hey, learn the lesson and move on. And don't get to this place where you just begin to doubt God. When I read this verse, I, I thought of Joseph. If there's anyone in the Bible who could have doubted God, would it not have been Joseph? Remember Joseph? His brothers lied about him. His brothers sold him into slavery, lied about what they did. Joseph goes off into captivity. He gets there and he gets purchased by Potiphar, becomes the best worker in Potiphar's house, and then his wife lies about him, says that Joseph tried to do something he never tried to do, got innocently thrown in prison. He gets to prison. He's there. He's innocent. He's done nothing. He reveals the dream and he tells his friend, don't forget about me. And what does his friend do? Forget about him. And if there's anyone that it could have been said that, that, you know, if there's anyone who could have said, you know what, I'm glad that you go to church. I'm glad that you're there on a Sunday night. I'm glad. I'm, I'm good. If, any, if there's anyone who could have said, I just don't think God cares about me. I just don't think God is, is interested in me. God has forsaken me. If anyone could have said that, it would have been Joseph. But here's what's interesting. In our human eyes and mind, when we look at Joseph and we look at real people going through real struggles like Joseph, we would say, I, you know, God's there. I don't know where he is. But it's interesting because, interesting because out of all the stories in the Bible, it seems like God keeps emphasizing over and over and over a thought in the life of Joseph. Go, are you there in Genesis? Look at chapter 39. Look at verse 1. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him, because he was a slave, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down hither. But then God wants to emphasize this thought, verse 2, and the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. He said, well, God was with him, even through the slavery, and even, well, why didn't God free him? It wasn't God's will to free him, but God was with him. Look at verse 3, and his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Look at, look at verse 20, same chapter, Isaiah 39, verse 20, notice what he says. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. This is after he was lied about. He gets thrown in prison. You say, well, why would God do that? But notice what God emphasizes, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph, and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hands all the prisoners that were in the prison, that whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. And the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. And because of that, because Joseph through these times, and look, this was years and years and years, 
Because Joseph never lost sight of the fact that God is in control. God is doing something. I may be in slavery. I may be in prison. I did nothing wrong. I don't deserve to be here. But Joseph understood this idea that God had not abandoned him. And I believe it is because of that that at the end of the story, Joseph can say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Because God's been with me. And don't ever get to the place where you just question and you doubt that God is in your life. Go to Philippians chapter 2. We'll, we'll be done right here. Philippians chapter number 2. See, you've got to understand this. The God who controls the kingdoms of the earth, the God who alone exists, creates good and evil, the God who is the source of everything that we have, the God who created us, the God who saves us, the God who... At one point, every knee will bow and every tongue shall swear. That God wants to do something in your life. So don't fight what God is doing in your life. And don't question what God is doing in your life. And don't doubt that God is doing something in your life. Are you there in Philippians chapter 2? Look at verse number 13. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Go to chapter 1, look at verse 6, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Philippians chapter number 1 and verse 6. The Bible says this, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Almost every week of my life, someone says something to me or someone says something to my wife, you know, we're, obviously we're in ministry. And people tell us about heartbreaks and things that are happening in their lives, and my heart breaks for them. And sometimes people tell me things, and I just think, I, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to, how to help you. I don't, I don't know what to do to be able to help you. But here's what I do know. God is in control. And God is working on you. And God has a purpose and a plan for your life. So don't fight God. And don't question God. And don't doubt God, because he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads.